freedomslips.com. You don't need to expect us. We're already here. This is the people's war. It is our war. We are the fighters. Fight it, then. Fight it with all that is in us. And may God defend the right. Warning, warning. We've got to stop them. They're going to kill us all. See how the trouble you've started? Be they a government, be they industry, be they organized labor, be they anyone, or human beings. Time when the operation of the machine becomes so odious, makes you so sick at heart, that you can't take part. You can't even passively take part. And you've got to put your bodies upon the gears and upon the wheels, upon the levers, upon all the apparatus, and you've got to make it stop. And you've got to win the day to the people who run it, to the people who own it. But unless you're free, the machine will be prevented from working at all. Revolution Radio of FreedomSlips.com, the number one listener-supported talk radio station, throwing ourselves upon the gears of the machine. Revolution Radio, where information never sleeps. You called down the thunder, well now you've got it. Right, you tell them I'm coming, and hell's coming with me, you hear? Hell's coming with me! Revolution Radio. We did not engage in conflict that was out of line with our mission. Is it disloyalty? Is it sedition? Is it treason to oppose the hands of tyranny? Never! I will never send troops anywhere on a mission of that kind without telling them that if somebody shoots at them, they can darn well shoot back. I know not what course others may take, but as for me, give me liberty! Oh, give me! A dark cloud is finally lifting across the world as U.S. military intelligence and their global partners are destroying the deep state criminal power structure that has ruled over our planet for hundreds of years. We are free with the God-given rights, and we shall not yield that right to any power on Earth. Hi, I'm Scott McKay. The world is at, and I am your host on The Tipping Point. On Revolution Radio, where every Monday from 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern, we bring you the latest in this ensuing takedown of this global criminal empire. And that's an image of strength. You'll get the raw, hard truth here on The Tipping Point. So come join us Mondays, 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern, in Studio B at Revolution.Radio. Thanks for listening while we take that short break here at Revolution Radio, FreedomSlips.com. And now we're going to get back to your host. Okay, good morning, uh, good afternoon, good evening. Welcome to Free Association. My name is Dennis. I'm here for the next hour on Revolution Radio. Uh, I'm taking it fairly loosely today. I'm not getting stressed about anything. I've got a piece to play uh, that's uh, an interview with Matthias Desmet. Uh, I played an interview on Tuesday on the round table and it went down quite well and his, his version of how the world is, he's coming from a clinical psychologist perspective and he's also got a master's degree in statistics so he's kind of qualified to talk about things from a psychological perspective and that's what he does he's got his own 
language and his own way of talking about things. And I think that there's more than one way of analysing the situation that we're in. And it's useful to get other people's perspectives and sometimes I integrate them, sometimes I don't. But uh, this one I quite like, Matthias Desmet is the man. And uh, it's a long, long interview. It's an hour and 10 minutes, I think. And I've only got an hour's programme, so I'm going to just let it play. Let me, uh, let me do my share screen thing and then we'll get... We'll get to it. Okay, so this is Matthias Desmet being interviewed on the Peak Prosperity channel. It's on YouTube, and uh, there's an hour and ten minutes. We'll go, I'll, I can probably let it play for about thirty-five minutes or so. And then I'll just talk out, talk the show out from there. But uh, I want to get as much of this in as I can, and uh, make sure it's in the archive. the The one that I played on Tuesday is in the archive under Free Association Roundtable. If you want to listen to that, and uh, yeah, here we go. This is Matthias Desmet on the Peak Prosperity Channel on YouTube. Why people buy into the story, even if it is utterly absurd, is not because they believe in the narrative. It is because the narrative leads to the new social bond. That's the real reason. Welcome everyone to this show. I am your host, Dr. Chris Martinson. And today's show is gonna be one of the most important you'll watch this year. I've spent Pretty much the past two years covering the science of COVID. Well, today we're going to cover the psychology of COVID. More specifically, the ways in which many societies and cultures around the world, principally countries holding Western values, I've noticed, have overreacted, have underreacted, and have sometimes even dangerously fallen into what might be called mass psychosis or more accurately, mass formation. During such moments, mental health declines, Societies can do great harm to themselves and to others as they irrationally overreact to perceived and sometimes entirely imaginary threats. Today's guest is Professor Matthias Desmet of Ghent University, who is one of the leading expert voices on this specific topic. In addition to being a lecturing professor in clinical psychology at Ghent University, he holds a master's degree in statistics. Professor Desmet, I know you're a busy man these days. Thank you so much for taking the time to be with us and welcome to the show. You're welcome. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, it, it really is an honor to have you here and uh, I wanna get right into it. So the psychology of COVID, let's talk if we could from your own perspective, um, what was your history with COVID? It, it erupted around the world in January of 2020. How long was it before you became concerned maybe that uh, we weren't, really following the science. Yeah, well, um, at the end of February 2020, I wrote my first opinion paper in which, the, in which I warned, here in Belgium it was a, an opinion paper written in Dutch, in which I warned that the um, uh, anxiety for the, vi for the virus could be more dangerous than the virus itself. That was the title of the opinion paper. And it shows, I, I think it's good to be uh, entirely honest and open 
to you. I, 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 from the beginning, uh, I took a critical perspective. So from the beginning, I had a feeling. I, 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 I studied the figures and the statistics, and I noticed immediately, or at least I had the impression immediately, um, that the dangerousness of the virus was overestimated. Uh, when I studied the mortality rates, the infection fatality rate, the case fatality rate, also the models of uh, uh, issued by Imperial College in London, which were the basis of the corona measures uh, worldwide, I think, or at least in Europe and in the States. Um, when I studied all these figures, graphs, statistics, and the ma mathematical models, I immediately had the impression that the dangerousness of the virus was overestimated. And in my opinion, uh, by the end of May 2020, this was proven beyond doubt. For instance, um, the mathematical models uh, of Imperial College predicted that in a country such as Sweden, about 80,000 people would die. Uh, and Sweden, of course, is a very interesting case because it was uh, exceptional in, its, uh, in the corona measures it took because it didn't go uh, with the lockdown strategy and, uh, and, and stuff. So, but by the end of May, according to the models, by the end of May 2020, uh, at least 80,000 people should have died in Sweden. And uh, uh, by the end of May 2020, only 6,000 people died of COVID in Sweden. And these 6,000, that, that figure of 6,000 uh, was even reached uh, with a very enthusiastic uh, counting methods uh, that were used in the COVID crisis. Uh, I, I often use that word enthusiastic because indeed when the people dying from the flu uh, are counted, uh, usually um, they are counted in a much more uh, conservative way. Um, but anyway, by the end of May 2020, I had the feeling that for me, uh, it was proven beyond doubt if, if we looked at uh, figures and the, the stats uh, and the models in this crisis that the dangerousness had been dramatically uh, overestimated of the virus. And um, uh, I noticed quite some other things as well. For instance, that at the moment, it became clear that the initial uh, mathematical models overrated um, the mortality rate of the virus or the mortality of the virus. At the moment, it became clear one would expect that uh, a narrative, a corona narrative, uh, that is based and that claims to be to have a scientific uh, basis or to have a, to to be based on scientific uh, models you would expect that at the moment it becomes clear that the models were wrong that at that moment the narrative and all the measures the strategy that is based on the narrative would be corrected of course but that didn't happen the narrative continued as if the models were right and uh, the corona measures, the reaction to the coronavirus, remained by and large the same around the world. So that was one thing that was very striking to me at, uh, at that moment. And also, even more important, I think, uh, I noticed that in one way or another, uh, all the attention, the attention of the population of the entire society was really focused on one point in the world, on the danger of the um, coronavirus of the, the on the casualties which the, the, the victims that could be claimed by the coronavirus and it seemed as if all the rest did not exist anymore for instance from the beginning of the crisis the united nations and several other other large uh, international institutions warned us that the number of people starving or dying from hunger in developing countries as a consequence of the lockdown strategies 
could be far higher and might probably be far higher than the number of people, uh, than the number of victims the virus could, could claim, even if no measures were taken at all. So on the one hand, we have the dangerousness of the virus. On the other hand, we have the collateral damage that can be caused by the corona strategy. And it seemed as if nobody really succeeded or in general, the population and the governments and stuff did not uh, manage to take both sources of danger into account. At any time we've seen in the, uh, in the mainstream media, really a comparison of the number of people that could die from the virus and the number of people that could die from the from the uh, from the corona measures so and that that actually in itself is the most basic thing we sh uh, a society should consider mm -hmm. if you think about remedies for a disease then the first thing you you think about or you, you or you try to know is whether the remedy will not be worse than the than the than a disease and that didn't happen so in one way or another it seemed that people were so focused the attention of people was so focused and so limited to uh, to to one specific limited aspect of reality um that they didn't see uh, the other aspects or uh, of reality anymore and that was the moment around uh, may in may 2020 i really started to to shift uh, the perspective and to think uh, in the beginning of the crisis, I, I think and that I took in the, in the first that I in the first place took a, a statistical perspective. I started to study the numbers, to to study the graphs, um, uh, and so on. And then from May 2020 onwards, I had a feeling that that the the uh, the core of the problem was not situated um, at the level of, a, of was not a biological problem, but that it was a psychological problem. And from then on, I started to think about how I could understand what was happening in society. How was it possible that a society um, went through a process um, uh, like this or, or didn't see anymore that um, uh, in many respects, um, the way we behaved uh, was absurd and uh, contraproductive. And it took me a few months before I could really in my opinion, hit the nail and, 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 and started to understand that, what's, what, that what was happening in society was a, a large-scale process of crowd formation or mass formation, as, they, as, they, as, as we sometimes call it in psychology or in social psychology. Um, and uh, at, uh, looking when, when I think about it now, it seems strange to me that it took me so long because I had been lecturing on this process for, for quite some years before. And it shows me, I think, how difficult it is, it is uh, if uh, an entire population or an entire society is grasped in a certain strong psychological process, how difficult is it, it is as an individual to step back and to look from a distance and to understand what is happening. So, but um, around in, in August 2020, I wrote a, 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 an opinion paper on mass formation. And that was the moment when I, when I really started to understand what, what was happening in, uh, at a psychological level, I think. Maybe it would be good if I describe this process of mass formation a little bit. Ab absolutely, let's talk about yes. that. What, what so, is it, how's it get started? Yes, it's, it's something that, that emerges in a society when, when very specific conditions are met. Um, for instance, the first and most crucial condition is that there should be a lot of people who experience a lack of social bond. So that's the most important thing. And, and by, uh, the, what do you mean by lack of social bonds? Lack of social bond. People should experience a lack of connectedness with other people. A lack of connectedness with other people. Um, could you could you 
theoretically feel a lack of connectedness even though you're surrounded by people? Oh, yes, of course. Of yes. course. Okay. Yes, so this isn't just physical isolation like in a... No, 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 no not at all. No, no, no. No, okay. no, 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 no. So that means that it means that people people feel lonely and isolated, and one way or another, not able to connect uh, emotionally to other people. Great. Uh, that's uh, that's essentially what uh, what what I mean with the lack of social bond. And it was huge in the in the years before the Corona crisis. For instance, in the UK, uh, a, a minister was appointed, a, a loneliness minister, just mm-hmm. to 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 focus on the problem of loneliness in society. And if if uh, also in the states. Um, um, the government mentioned that there was a loneliness epidemic. More than 50% of the people mentioned uh, that uh, they had no meaningful relationships at all in their life. That they were that they only uh, were connected, for instance, in the in the in the in the uh, on, through the internet or in the online world. That they only that only in the virtual space they dared to talk about their emotions and their problems, for instance. So there was really the loneliness was huge and that mm. it had been increasing throughout the last uh, decennia uh, 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 constantly. So on the one hand, we have this, this most crucial condition is the lack of social bond. And um, then a second one is also important, a lack of meaning making. The, the, the second one, the lack of meaning making actually follows from the first one. If people feel disconnected, if people don't have meaningful relationships, Social, if they are not embedded in a, in, a, in, a, in a social network, then they typically will experience their life and their jobs and stuff as meaningless. That's something very typical because human beings or social beings, um, when they lack social bond, they will also lack a feeling of uh, or an experience of meaning and sense in life. And for instance, also that can be very well uh, illustrated through um, um, academic research. For instance, David Graeber wrote a book, Bullshit Jobs, in which he describes um, that uh, 40% of the, of, the, of the population uh, had the experience in 2017, I think, 40% of the people experienced their job as completely meaningless. And an additional, about 20%, I think, experienced a, a strong lack of, 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 uh, of meaning. And if, I don't know if, you, if you're familiar with the Gallup World Poll, which found that um, worldwide, worldwide, only 13% of the people reported that they considered their job to be meaningful. Only 30%. And 63% said that they um, experienced their job as meaningless, that they sleepwalked through the office the entire day. So stuff like that. It shows that there was a radical lack of meaning making uh, for instance, at the level of the of uh, of, of people's jobs. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, so the third sense, con- this sense yes. making, though, if if we could, um, uh, this, uh, this matters to me a lot as somebody who considers himself rational and a scientist and all this other stuff. I, I've noticed that that a, a even prior to COVID, we were having difficulty with sense making. So of course, quick quick example. Um, environmental groups say we just have to decarbonize 50% by 2030. But if, as a scientist who studies energy, if you just run the math, the next question is, well, which half the population is going to die and which 70% of the jobs should go away? And there's no connection between those things, but it's pushed as an idea that's really important, but it doesn't ground. Is that mm-hmm. is that where we lose our sense when when we have these narratives that fundamentally don't even you can't even you can't even scratch at them with your fingernail without ruining them? Yes, there are many reasons why we experience this lack of sense making now. This, this, this lack of sense making uh, 
has become stronger throughout the last two centuries, actually. At this moment, I just finished a manuscript of a book, a book um, uh, in which I, in the first five chapters, described the psychological uh, evolutions throughout the last two, uh, two centuries. And they, they all, like the, 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 throughout the last two centuries, the phenomenon of mass formation became increasingly strong. And it was exactly because people experienced um, uh, less and less social, uh, uh, social, social connectedness and less and less uh, sense-making or meaning-making in life. That were two central conditions. So it's quite complicated. It's associated, I think, to the uh, mechanistic uh, view on man and the world, which became more and more uh, predominant throughout the last two centuries. Um, um, yes, but actually, I'm, I'm talking now about the situation, the psychological condition of the population before the Corona crisis, because right. you need you need these conditions um, in order for large scale mass formation to emerge in a society. So we had this lack of social connectedness, this lack of meaning making, and the third condition is very important as well, is that there have to be high levels of free floating anxiety in the population, free floating anxiety and free floating. Uh, uh, psychological discontent. And what uh, do I mean with free-floating anxiety? Free-floating anxiety is a kind of anxiety that is not connected to a mental representation, which is extremely important. Sometimes when we feel anxious, we know what we feel anxious for. And we see a lie and a dog or something dangerous and we are scared, then we know what we are anxious for. That means that the anxiety is connected to a mental representation. And that means that we can mentally control the anxiety because we know what we are scared of. If we run away, we have a from the lion, from the dog, and so on. We have a, a certain feeling of being in control of our, of our anxiety. We know what we can do to avoid the object of anxiety. But sometimes people are confronted with a kind of anxiety that is not connected to a mental representation. And that is the most aversive mental state because it puts people in a situation when they feel where they feel entirely helpless because they don't know what they can run away of and so that's that's extremely important yes. do we know do we know professor um uh, that state uh, i I'm, I'm familiar and I've, I've i've got my audience familiarized with the idea of the triune brain that that we have these um evolutionarily we had a core brain right so-called the reptilian brain on top of which another structure got slapped on top of which finally our our higher cortical thing got slapped. And it's rather like starting with the DOS operating system and ending up with Windows. It's a poor sort of a, a, a match from time to time. Where does this free-floating anxiety reside? Is this is this one of our more archaic sort of, uh, is this down in our emotional centers, meaning it's, it's, it's somehow less subject or available to our cortical or rational centers? Where, where does it live in our, in our brains? Hmm, I don't think it's uh, it's something primitive. I think it's something very typical for the human being in this respect that for human beings, beings it's much more difficult than for animals uh, to make sense of their world because their, their psychological system works uh, 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 through language. People use language to understand their world and language is a system that never ends or that never leads to... Um, to clear-cut interpretations of the world. And that's something typical uh, for, for, for human beings. I think it's much more connected to our mental system, to the typically human mental system, uh, than through um, uh, certain archaic or, or, or old primitive uh, reactions. Um, but uh, what 
In any case, it was very clear that just before the corona crisis, the levels of uh, free-floating anxiety were extremely high. And for instance, one out of five uh, was diagnosed with an anxiety disorder before the crisis. One out of five. One out of five. So that's huge. And that, that of course, 20% uh, um, of the people uh, received the diagnosis of an anxiety disorder, but much more people were confronted with anxiety. And even much more were confronted with psychological discontent in general. Because yeah. if you look in a, in a country such as Belgium, for instance, which has a population of 11 million people, each year, 300 million doses of antidepressants are used. Each year, 300 million doses. And only antidepressants. We are not talking about antipsychotics and all kinds of other psychopharmaceuticals. But that's huge. So, so you see that also that, and also that was steeply increasing the last, throughout the, uh, the last decennia. Uh, so the third condition was definitely met in our society. Uh, the, 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 and maybe you could answer this because this has been a, a huge focus of mine. When I, I was wondering about where the onset of depression, what was called depression, was usually mid-40s. That was the average. But that bell curve is like four standard deviations, and it's all the way down in the low 20s now. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then psychologists started to realize, oh, it's not actually depression because that's either situational or chemical. It's very it's It's amenable to treatment compared to this new thing, which wasn't amenable to treatment. So they started calling it demoralization. And what caught me was that that was defined as a loss of connection between your cognitive map and the world you were actually living in. Uh, they weren't okay. connecting yes. anymore, right? Yes, yes, yes. That's something that typically leads to this free-floating uh, effect, such as free-floating anxiety, frustration, and so on. Yes, typically. It's this disconnection, indeed, between the cognitive mapping of the world and, 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 and the world itself, you could say, between, between the symbolic and the real. Yes, 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 <laughs> yes. yes. Yeah, so, yes. so that's already epidemic but even before COVID comes along. And, and what's the fourth condition? The fourth condition is uh, that there has to be a lot of free-floating aggression and frustration. And that also that follows, that follows from the first three conditions. If people feel socially disconnected and they feel that their life uh, uh, makes no sense or has no meaning, and they are confronted with a lot of free-floating anxiety and psychological discontent, that is hard to, to control mentally, then they will typically feel frustrated and aggressive. And all, the, all this free-floating frustration and aggression will also be without object. People will not know why they feel aggressive, but they will feel it or they will feel frustrated. And in this condition, something very typical, uh, uh, typical happens. People start to look for an object of, uh, or for a mental representation um, to which they can connect their anxiety and their frustration. So, and then, if under these conditions, a narrative is distributed in society through the mass media, indicating an object of anxiety, and at the same time, providing a strategy to deal with this object of anxiety, something very specific happens, something very important. All this free-floating anxiety might connect to the object of anxiety indicated in the narrative. And people might be extremely willing to participate in the strategy to deal with the object of anxiety, which is indicated in the narrative. And in that way, that's the first stage that has a specific psychological advantage. All this free-floating anxiety is now connected to a mental representation. So, which means that people experience more psychological control in the situation. And then something, a next step is taken. Something happens at another level. 
Meaning, because many people participate in the same strategy to deal with the object of anxiety, a new kind of social bond emerges, a new kind of solidarity. So people feel connected again in a new way. And that's, that's actually, that's the most crucial thing. If you look at the corona crisis and you listen at the mainstream, uh, 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 you to the mainstream narrative, then you will hear that everything is about solidarity. You have to participate. You have to accept the vaccine. You have to respect social distancing because if you don't, you lack citizenship. You show no solidarity. So that's the most crucial thing always in mass formation. So that's the real reason, the real reason why people buy into the story, even if it is utterly absurd, is not because they believe in the narrative. It is because the narrative leads to the new social bond. That's the real reason. And then there is a fourth advantage all the frustration and aggression can be directed at an object. And that object is the people who, for one reason or another, do not want to participate in the mass formation. That's typically, historically, time and time again, we see the same process. When a population, for instance, the really large scale mass formations, as they happened during the French Revolution, which were not very large, but they were large, the large-scale mass formations, which um, uh, uh, led to um, the emergence of uh, communism and Stalinism in, a, in a, the Soviet Union, the large-scale mass formations, which led to uh, Nazi Germany, to the to the emergence of uh, of, uh, of the totalitarian state in Nazi Germany, they all shared the same characteristics. The population was exactly um, these four conditions will, were fulfilled, and then a new kind of solidarity emerged. And all the frustration and aggression was channeled by directing all the uh, by directing it at uh, at the people who um, who did not want to participate uh, or who couldn't participate uh, in um, in the mass formation. So, and then you have this very strange situation where people start from a very negative and diversive mental state, lack of social bond, lack of meaning making, uh, free floating anxiety, and uh, a lot of frustration and aggression. They switch from this very highly aversive mental state to a symptomatic positive state where they feel connected. Their life makes sense because they are all, uh, uh, life start to make sense again through this heroic struggle with the object of anxiety. People are united in their struggle against the coronavirus, for instance. Mm -hmm. So, uh, and their anxiety is connected to a mental re representation and they can satisfy their frustration and aggression. So they, 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 that switch from a highly negative mental state to a positive mental state um, uh, brings people in a kind of mental intoxication. That's why people continue to believe in the narrative, even if it is utterly absurd. And, and you know, the measures, the corona measures, for instance, like the social distancing, the mask wearing, uh, uh, the vaccination strategies, they function for a certain part of the population, and I'm talking prob about probably about 30% of the population. It's not, it's not much more than that. Only 30% of the population usually is really into this process of mass formation, into this process of a collective hypnosis, 
then there are an additional 40 or 50% who just go along with the masses, who will never, never go against the current, because in one way or another, they think it's better not to do so. And then there is an additional 20%, sometimes 10%, it depends a little bit, who really uh, is not hypnotized at all and who also wants to speak out and do something to change the, the situation. But the first part of the population, the 30%, who are really into the process of mass formation, mm -hmm. um, for these people, the more absurd the measures are, the more, the better they will work the measures and the more they will be inclined to buy into the narrative that because the measures is this function the bigger the bigger the lie the better is that what we're talking about yes here? indeed yes but the, the the measures really function as a ritual and the rituals are a kind of behavior that has to be without pragmatic meaning and that has to demand a sacrifice of the individual uh, by par by participating in a ritual an individual shows that the collective is more important than the individual, meaning that rituals have to be a kind of behavior that is without pragmatic meaning, that leads, that has no advantages for, for people, no pragmatic advantages, and that uh, for which people has to sacrifice something. So that's, that's, that's a strange thing that for a certain part of the population, it really doesn't make a difference whether the measures are absurd or not. And that's what that's what's so strange for the people who are not in the process of mass formation, because they look and they see what's happening here. Do, do, do the people not see that, that that what's going on is utterly absurd and that it is it, it, it's even dangerous? Uh, but no, they won't. They be because uh, it, 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 it's brilliant. This cuts right to the core of um, like this is how profound it is for me. So children, not at all, really statistically, just not even touched by COVID, except for very few have some comorbidities. Actually, the science says they don't really transmit COVID all that well either because they have such high innate immunity to this thing. And yet there are people out there saying we need our children to be masked, even though there's no science to support the idea that the mask does anything, except it probably harms the child's cognitive and social development skills at a critical period of time. So people are willing ritualistically to sacrifice their children. Indeed. That's powerful to me. Is that what we're talking about? That's what we are talking about, yes. That's exactly what we are talking about. And that's like, yes. So uh, this process of mass formation has some symptomatic advantages, but it, 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 it has huge, huge disadvantages as well. And, and, and one of them is, the first is that the field of attention really gets very narrow. People only see what the narrative indicates. And that's something typical for hypnosis as well. When someone is hypnotized, uh, he will only be aware of the part of reality uh, uh, the hypnotist focuses on. And that's exactly the same in mass formation. So in mass formation, people are only aware of the part of reality, both cognitively and emotionally, uh, that is indicated by the, by the hypnotizing or by the, by the mass narrative. And that's, that's the reason why people don't seem to be aware um, of, the, of the collateral damage of the measures. And in one way or another, People know somewhere that there is collateral damage of measures, but it has no cognitive and emotional impact. That's the problem. It's it, it's not it's not there is no psychological energy attached to these mental representations, and that's why they have no impact at all. So people so will. An example yeah. might be 
it's it's incredibly incredibly awful worst thing ever that a 78 year old obese man with four other comorbidities died of covid that's terrible um, a 28 year old whose gym was shut down whose livelihood went away who fell into a deep depression and then took accidentally a fentanyl overdose and they died we ignore that this is terrible no. but that's not even doesn't even impact us yes it will have no impact exactly because when the when all this anxiety and all this frustration and all this aggression connects to this narrative that indicates an object of anxiety, all the psychological energy mm. is connected to this narrative. And what is not in the narrative is not uh, 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 is not connected to psychological energy. And that's exactly why. What is the, the things that are not indicated by the narrative have no impact. They have no emotional or cognitive impact. They exist. People hear that there is collateral damage, but it will have no impact. Now, but that's you can understand that perfectly from a psychological perspective. And and it has a also like there is a, there is a second problem. The process of mass formation, crowd formation, is similar, if not identical, to the process of hypnosis, and. It also makes that people who are grasped in a process of mass formation are not aware of the egoistic disadvantages they suffer. So when someone is in mass formation, you can take everything away from this person, even his own life. He will not notice it. You can take his health away, his wealth away. You can take everything away. He might lose um, his future and his, and his, and his freedom. Uh, he will not be aware that, that he loses it. That's one of them. And you see exactly the same in hypnosis. The attention is so much focused on one point in a hip through a simple hypnotic procedure that you can cut straight through people's flesh and bones, literally. With a simple hypnotic procedure, you can make someone radically insensitive to pain to this extent that you can perform a surgical operation on that person, that you can cut straight through the breastbone, the person will not notice it. That shows the power of, of, of hypnotic procedures and also of mass formation. And that was so striking from a historical point of view uh, when historians uh, uh, saw what was happening in Nazi Germany and the Soviet Union, they felt like they have never been, they, they had never seen something uh, uh, like that before because a totalitarian state and totalitarianism is something completely different from a classical dictatorship. It's something completely different. In a classical dictatorship, people are scared of the dictator because of his physical power. But in a totalitarian regime, everything starts with this process of mass formation. It, and it, it grasps people in the core of their being. It brings them under a kind of hypnosis, and that makes that... Uh, that the totalitarian state has an extreme power over individuals, also over their private life and over their cognitive and mental functioning, which is it's completely different from a, from a classical dictatorship. And it's exactly because it is based on this process of mass formation or mass hypnosis. I, I want to I explore this. Uh, so the relationship hypnosis and, and mass formation. Hypnosis at the individual level, mass formation operating at the collective level across a culture. How many people are susceptible to hypnosis? Not everybody is. A lot are. A lot are, okay. Usually, usually I think about 80% of the people, it depends a little bit. It depends a little bit. The extent 
of hypno the, the 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 depth of the hypnosis will not be the, the same mm -hmm. uh, for everyone. But in, in um, mass formation, usually only about 30% of the people is really is really uh, into the process of mass formation, not much more. Okay, and, and for that 30%, is there any relationship between intelligence and susceptibility to that? Not at all, hmm. not at all. Really? No, and that's a strange thing. That's one of the major characteristics of a, of a crowd or a mass, uh, that everybody becomes as intelligent or <laughs> Maybe better as stupid, yes. <laughs> but but they are they are not, and, and that, that 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 applies to highly intelligent uh, people, uh, equally well as uh, as to less intelligent people. Um, it, that that has been studied in the 19th century already very extensively. It was very clear that uh, even the, the the most intelligent people uh, were completely blind and completely insensitive to rational argumentation. For instance, masses are only sensitive to strong visual images and to repetition of, a, of time and time again, the same message. And uh, uh, also to, uh, to the presentation of numbers and graphs and statistics. If you, if you present numbers and statistics in a visual way, they will have a huge impact on the masses. Now, this is really near and dear to my heart because part of my work is I work with a lot of doctors who figured out early treatments and they're very flexible and creative and they've just been shut down and squashed. I know, I know people who consider themselves really intelligent, um, really successful individuals, also doctors, uh, who still to this day in this country, if you get uh, COVID, you might end up in a hospital on remdesivir in a ventilator, even though we've known for 18 months that's a death sentence and it's not state of the art. And I know mm -hmm. people who will vigorously defend that that's the right thing to do. Uh, okay, I think that's, Probably that's enough of the of the Matthias Desmond video. You get the idea. I've posted the link in chat, and uh, if you want to find it, it's on YouTube on the Peak Prosperity channel, and uh, it's easy enough to find. There's another there's another 35 minutes left to run on that, so there's still plenty of material in there that's worth listening to, uh, and you can find there's another one on the in the archives on my roundtable show from last Tuesday. Uh, so I just wanted to get this in the archive, basically, so that it's it's available for people, so that I can refer people back to it at Rev Radio without going anywhere else. And it also makes sense for me to have, have a reference point. And I think I think there's more than one perspective that's useful. The good versus evil perspective, the, the rhetoric that goes with it can sometimes wake people up, but it's not going to solve the problem. It's polarizing. So once that's happened, there needs to be another perspective. And I think this is probably part of it. So I'm trying to develop a, a framework of, of the essential things that, need, that we need to talk about. So mass formation would be one. Uh, common law rights would be another. These types of things that I don't know anything about my common law rights at all, but that's on my list of things that I need to find out about. Uh, the psychological impact of mass formation is something I need to find out about. It's something I need to talk to somebody about. Or I'm I'm trying to get hold of Matthias Desmet to get it to get an interview when he's got a book coming out in January apparently, called The Psychology of Totalitarianism. 
So I've reached out to him on Skype, and I'm going to send him an email and see if I can get him on the show. Probably closer to the time his book comes out. Um, but yeah, he's a he's an interesting guy. He's got a good good set of experiences, a good perspective on how things are happening. It's another more central, like more middle way kind of approach. And I, I try and stay in the middle as much as I can. I get pulled to one side and another, and it's not an easy thing to stay in the middle. It's not an easy thing. It has you have to put a lot of energy into it. But that's what I'm attempting to do. I'm I'm attempting to walk down the middle and see both sides, and and raise to a higher level, and see see from above the full picture as much as I can. And that's what I'm trying to bring to to this show and to Rev Radio as far as I can. The, the, there's only so much you can do and I'm not trained in any of this stuff so I, if I hear a good idea I can recognise a good idea I can recognise a good discussion but I'm not trained so my me talking about it is less less effective than listening to somebody who's trained and knows what they're talking about so I'll bring, the, I'll bring these people in if they're on Skype I'll bring them in and, and do something live with people Next year, I'm going to reach out a lot more for interviews and try and get a few more people on the, the round table with it, with different voices, different points of view to the ones that are normally heard on Rev Radio. And we'll see how that goes. We'll see how it goes. Right, I want to talk about, I want to talk about my podcast a little bit as well because I'm having a good time with the podcast. And uh, the last few days, last week or so, it's gone bananas, so there's a there's something going on with the podcast that uh, that involves my relationship with people on Spotify and and Joe Rogan. So I've picked up a little bit of Joe Rogan's audience on Spotify, is what I'm what I'm saying. And accidentally, it wasn't planned at all, but uh, I posted a an audio piece that had Peter McCulloch in it and I I posted it that was the 8th of December and then Joe Rogan interviewed him a few days ago so since that Joe Rogan interview went out people on Spotify are looking for Dr. Peter McCulloch and they're finding some of the stuff that I posted so it was purely coincidental but um the podcast figures have gone from 60 downloads a, a day to 758 downloads yesterday in one day. So more than 10%, way more than 10, way more than 10 times rather increase. So I've put a little bit of drilling in the background, but I think I can get through the last 10 minutes without too much trouble. If it gets too much, I'll just drop out, but uh, it should be all right. So let's say hello to the chat room, and uh, as I say, I'm keeping this fairly loose. So in the chat room, we've got a grand total of 34 people at the moment. And so on the visitors list, we have Tootsie, we have Lady Horse, uh, Wally, Gino, 
2017. Not much to it. Wild Bob is here. Azra is here. Uh, Laura Bell is here. Metal Rabbit, who is Pat Rabbit sometimes, is here. Uh, Gordon. WSOD is here as well. Mer Bailey is here. Captain Fred. Uh, the Red Pill. Comet. And then a bit further down. We have Nessamania. Monster 383. Uh, Batsman. Uh, Stardust Man's been in. Uh, and that takes us to about nine hours ago. So that's probably enough for the moment. And um, well, it's an active chat room. Uh, if you can come in and support the station, you can do that. You can do that just by being in the chat room. Or there's a donation button button at the top of the page at revolution.radio where you can you can set up a Patreon uh, donation monthly or you can just make a one-off and uh, yeah so things are kind of good at the moment for me even though the world's gone mad things are quite good I'm, uh, I'm developing the podcast I'm developing the radio show I've just taken some taking delivery of a PC uh, last Sunday evening and uh, I'm, I'm in the process of setting it up still not quite working the way I want it to work uh, there doesn't seem to be any way to get sound out of it so that's puzzling me a bit how to get the sound working but uh, my friend Paul's volunteered to, to help me out with it and he put it together from bits he had lying around so it's a good quality PC it needs a bit of fine tuning, I think. That's all it really needs. I've got a, I've got a Bluetooth headset. I'm probably going to be able to set up with it and use that. So in the new year, when I'm doing shows in the new year, it'll be with a new PC and a, a relatively new Bluetooth headset. Maybe a new format as well. I don't know yet. I'm feeling the urge to kind of reformat things a little bit. I know this, this kind of loose video format works quite well for me, but uh, I'll see what else I can do with it. I might add a little bit of public domain music in or add some some short snappy clips in or something. I don't know. I'll just play, I'll play over Christmas and see what I can come up with. And uh, I'll let the technology tell me what it wants to do. And... Uh, We'll see what see what happens anyway. So you can find me online on Twitter if you want to follow me on Twitter. Uh, my name there is Dennis Barker. It's Dennis with two N's. Barker is Bravo Alpha Romeo Kilo Echo Romeo. Uh, so you can find me there. You can find the find the podcast on. Google Podcasts, on Spotify, on Player FM. Anywhere you find podcasts, you should be able to find it. And it's just called Free Association Podcast Radio Show and Roundtable or Radio Show Podcast and Roundtable. One of those combinations of words, anyway, should get you there. Uh, let me see if I can find something. I'll tell you what I'll do. Let's have a look on... 
on BitChute for the last five minutes because there's a couple of movies on BitChute that are worth talking about. And you know, I'm never quite sure how long movies and TV shows are going to stay on BitChute because at the moment they seem to be there, but you can never tell with these places. So let's have a look at the entertainment category. As it's coming up to Christmas, we're all looking for entertainment. And I've downloaded a couple of things this afternoon while I was hanging out at home, waiting for the show. And uh, let's have a quick look here. We've got uh, Das Boot, the director's cut, which is about a German submarine, if I remember rightly. That's a, it's a good movie. It's three and a half hours long, but a good movie. Worth your time. What else have we got on here? I can't remember what I downloaded now. Oh, the Nightmare Before Christmas I downloaded earlier on. And that's a pretty good movie as well. And there's more episodes. The X-Files is turning up here as well now. Uh, Star Trek 25th Anniversary Special is on here. Well, King Kong versus Godzilla, which is an old, old, old movie, but good movie. I remember from my childhood. Wolfen, which I've seen and is also a good movie. I've got a bit of a thing about werewolves, so I like I like werewolf movies and Teen Wolf's worth. Teen Wolf is worth watching as well on Netflix. If you've got nothing else to do over Christmas, then the sixth series of Teen Wolf on there. And it's it's very, very nicely put together. I enjoyed it. It's just a bit of fun, a bit of hawker. But nicely put together. Amusing. Uh, they they kind of remake a horror movie every every couple of episodes. And they're they're using about three sets regular, three or four sets. So all, a lot of the budget I think went into the special effects rather than anything else but uh, with what they've got they've done a very good job so i highly recommend that it's worth uh, worth spending some time with it because it livens up after the first season okay let's see where we go further down here i'm not sure what deliver us from evil is it looks like a movie but i've never seen it before so i don't know about that one Mutiny in Outer Space is on here, if that appeals to anybody. Anyway, you get the idea. This, there's movies and TV shows. And uh, there's a, a range of stuff on there. Battlestar Galactic is on there. Lots of, science, lots of old science fiction, which is the kind of stuff that I like. And a, a few old... Hollywood movies as well, a few westerns. Um, to Catch a Thief is on there, the old Hitchcock movie. So all worth watching, though, I think, uh, in comparison to what's being put out by Hollywood these days. I like I like character studies and I like kind of in, intense close quarters drama in terms of entertainment. Not so much when it's in real life, but as entertainment, I like it. Um, so that's what I tend to gravitate towards, which means 
character studies and science fiction is more or less what I like. So that's pretty much it. Um, I don't think I'm here next week. If I'm if I'm around, I'll do a show. If I'm not, that I'll that I won't. It depends what's happening. It's Christmas Day next Saturday, so uh, have a have a good one with your family or with your friends or whoever you're spending Christmas with. Um, New Year again. Um, New Year's Day. I'm, I might be here. You never know. Um, I've got a feeling I will be New Year. It's Christmas, I'm not guaranteeing. You know, it depends how I feel. Uh, but all being well, I'll see you in the new year. Uh, might liven up the format a little bit, uh, change it around, and see what see what we can do with it. Well, thanks for listening, and I'll I'll catch you later. Have a good one. Barbara Jean Lindsay, the Cosmic Oracle. If you have questions about your past lives or future plans, need answers from the cosmos about your love life or career, or just want to keep your finger on the pulse of the planet, check out my show, The Cosmic Oracle, here on Revolution Radio at freedomslips.com. He's coming. January 3rd, 6 p.m. Revolution Radio. Welcome to the crypt. <laughs> what the heck is the truth, Jihad? Hey, I'm Kevin Barrett, host of Truth Jihad Radio. Federal prosecutors, Department of Homeland Security agents, and curious passersby often ask me, just what is this Truth Jihad thing anyway? Well, everybody knows what truth is, but Jihad is a misunderstood term. Jihad means effort or struggle. The greater jihad is the struggle to be a better person, while the lesser jihad is the struggle to defend the community. Prophet Muhammad, peace upon him, did say that the best jihad is a word of truth flung in the face of a tyrant. And that's what we do here at Truth Jihad Radio. Every Friday, 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern, 5 to 7 Pacific, right here on Revolution Radio. the holiday season and find ourselves standing on the precipice of the new year revolution radio at freedomslips.com would like to thank you our amazing listeners from the bottoms of our hearts and beyond for being you it is 